This podcast is brought to you by Pragmatic Solutions, the leading iGaming PAM platform with a modular approach, including many benefits like a fast, secure, and scalable API-based platform integrated with all major third-party products and services. Make sure you head over to Pragmatic Solutions and join our smart thinking. Hey everyone, and welcome to this iGaming Next marketing podcast. Today we have a real treat for you as we have Katie Shaw from Entourage Global in the studio. We're going to talk about how to optimize your sponsorship strategy. So if you have ever thought about hiring Ronaldo or influencers or streamers or whatever it might be, this is definitely the episode for you. Katie has spent the last 14 years uh, doing exactly this with brands from ranging from PepsiCo to Ford to Vodafone, but also gaming brands uh, such as Parimatch, Olibeth, and a number of others. Uh, and in this podcast, she gives you all the good stuff. She shares what to think about, how to optimize it. So I strongly uh, advise you to listen in. I hope you enjoy it. Thank you very much. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you're listening to this iGaming Next uh, brand and marketing podcast. Uh, today, I'm super excited because I'm here with you, Katie. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Thanks, Michael. Thank you. You officially have the best looking living room I have ever had on this uh, this podcast, I think. <laughs> I'll take that. It's recently been decorated, <laughs> so I think that it won't remain like this for much longer. <laughs> it, it shows. It shows. So for the listeners that are audio only, you're, you're missing out. You should go and find the video version of this podcast. Katie, you're based in London, right? Yes, correct. And how's the how's the weather on this lovely Wednesday Wednesday afternoon? Cloudy and miserable, but I feel like the, it's starting to warm up. So I'm taking that and, and you know feeling like spring is on its way. Okay, very good, very good. Yeah, we're, I'm based in Malta. Same here. Uh, spring is definitely in the air. About twenty degrees. It's good. We're getting there. Okay, that's um, much better. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Kate, we have a fantastic uh, conversation uh, coming up here uh, around sponsorships, really, which you are uh, definitely a, a massive expert in. So I'm super excited about that. Before we start, um, super excited. Uh, uh, you told me during the prep call that you are very soon about to have not one, but two. So twins, basically, uh, soon in a couple of weeks. Is that correct? That is, yeah. I was just um, explaining to Michael that I've been feeling a bit run down, but I was like, we've got to do the podcast today because the twins are coming soon, so we can't delay it. But yes, <laughs> I am um, yeah, expanding the family. So uh, a busy couple of months ahead, but looking forward to it. Wow, and twins and everything. I, 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 first of all, massive congrats. And, uh, and yeah, so that probably means when this podcast comes out, you'll, be, you'll probably be listening to it uh, if you have time with, with two extra little ones running around. Yeah, it might help to send, my voice might help send the twins to sleep, so it could be useful. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. Very good. Cool, but let's get into it. So first of all, um, brief introduction to to you, Katie. Uh, so you're currently heading up uh, Entourage uh, Sport and Entertainment's recently launched Partnership Management Division. Uh, you bring with you 14 years of experience in partnership marketing and sponsorship management. Prior to joining Entourage, uh, your career spans companies such as Fuse, which is part of Omnicom, uh, Carrot Sponsorship, which is part of Dentsu, and Prism, which is part of WPP, working with a number of global brands to maximize their sponsorships, such as PepsiCo, Ford, Vodafone, as well as gaming brands such as Pokestars, uh, Sky Betting and Gaming, Parimatch, and Olympic Entertainment Group, or Olibet. 
did I get that roughly correct or did I completely destroy that? No, no, that's all correct. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, right. yeah, it's definitely been with um, with Entourage that I've been working increasingly with gaming brands. Um, Entourage is an independent agency um, that's about eight years old. Um, but we work very well with gaming brands because, um, you know, we can be quite agile, react quite quickly. Um, and that seems to kind of complement the way that gaming brands like to work as well. Yes, uh, exactly. Very good. So quite uh, some big, big names happening there, both inside and outside gaming and 14 years here, Katie. So we, we're, I'm super excited to, to talk about this, uh, this topic with you. Um, but we normally start with sort of a, a round of definitions uh, because we're dealing with marketing and there's so much lingo and, uh, and different definitions uh, floating around yeah, in, in the air. So, so what does the word uh, sponsorship mean to, to you, Katie? How would you describe it? Um, you know, so sponsorship is really just another form of marketing. Um, it's when, you know, a brand or a company might pay to be associated to something else. Um, you know, and by being associated to it, they get, you know, a number of rights and they get used to their IP. So they can use their name, their logo, their image as a way in which to kind of draw that association between them and that property. Um, and, you know, really sponsorship has been around the ages you know i think there are articles talking around how um wealthy individuals used to um kind of pay to sponsor gladiator races and obviously it's yeah. developed quite a bit since then um but that kind of you know it kind of really kicked off um in kind of late 19th century with tobacco cards um you know which collectibles are still obviously huge now um, especially in the digital space but tobacco cards became these collectible items because they were using sports stars um, in them. Then in sort of 19, I think it was 28, Coca-Cola um, established their sponsorship with the Olympics, which is incredible because it's still going. But that's, you know, mm -hmm. the first kind of real sponsorship that I think we see nowadays as well. Um, and it's just been growing since. And especially with, um, you know, broadcast happening in sort of 1950s, I think it was, you know, that just allowed um, access to a huge audience. And that's what brands are looking to do is sponsor certain things to capitalize on yeah that association and, and that audience um, and i think the other thing is you know worth pointing out about sponsorships is um increasingly so they're sort of referred to partnerships almost instead of sponsorships you know previously sponsorship yeah. meant you get a list of assets and rights that were pretty standard the number of brands would be offered the same list and um, partnerships are now a lot more kind of mutually beneficial um, you know, they're looking at how can both, let's say it's a brand and a, and a sports property, how can they both mutually benefit each other? And by doing that, create a really specific set of rights that allows the brand to kind of, you know, really use that platform to align with their brand and for it to kind of have a real shift in terms of the marketing um, of that brand. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, so uh, yeah, it's one of the oldest forms of marketing around almost like you're saying back from uh, from gladiator <laughs> days almost um and and if i understand you correctly sort of moving away from a, a sort of a maybe a static version called sponsorship into a much more dynamic sort of two-way street called called partnerships more where sort of both sides pitch in and 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 help craft something that's mutual beneficial it, it, would that be fair to fair description yeah absolutely I, you know i think in the past you know brands were really able to utilize what that you know property was offering you know whether it's sport or music but nowadays actually you know brands are actually really helping that property also look at 
how they develop digitally or what they offer to their fans. And so I think that's what's been really exciting in the last, you know, 10 years is actually by working more mutually, by working together, they can almost help, you know, it helps kind of um, achieve the objectives of both the brand, but then also the rights holder as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So both parties uh, get something out of it. It's not just a one-way street, uh, sort of trying to milk the the, the value of of a, of, a, of, a, of a talent or or, or a big brand. So Absolutely. To speak. Yeah. No, very good. And and inside uh, partnerships, then um, yeah. are there sort of different uh, different categories or types, or uh, how how do you uh, sort of define the um, subcategories, if you will, uh, sure. within the space? Yeah, there are definitely different ways in which a brand can get involved, um, you know, whether that's with an individual, so, you know, an ambassador or an influencer. Um, it could be with a team, you know, whether it's a football team or another sports team. And it could be with an event. So, you know, a key moment, a tournament, a music festival, uh, art exhibition. Um, or the other one is organization. So that's where, you know, in the UK, someone might um, sponsor the FA, for example, the Football Association, but it's or, or a league like the English Premier League. Um, so you kind of have those four main categories, but then actually within those, you've also got different levels of sponsorship. So, you know, from main um, leading partner, you know, to technology partner, to supplier partner. So there are different levels and those levels tend to then dictate the rights that you get and therefore um, mm -hmm. the fee that you might pay. And it's probably worth saying actually in terms of partnerships is it's not necessarily always, you know, a brand paying a rights holder via monetary value. It can actually be a value in kind agreement as well. So, you know, going back to this partnership and, and mutually beneficial, you know, it could be that the brand is bringing mm -hmm. to that rights holder, um, you know, uh, services or merchandise um, or expertise. And therefore, sometimes it's not necessarily money that's ex exchanging hands. It's actually this kind of value in kind agreement as well. Mm -hmm. Okay. Oh, very good. So many different... Uh sizes and, and levels of, of, uh, of fees and, and sort of structures, if you will. Uh, one, one thing we spoke about um, during the prep call as well, I mean, we, we live in, a, in an age of influencers, right? And uh, whether they are streamers or social media stars or, or, or whatever they are, uh, but the term influencer is, is, is very prevalent. Um, um, so we spoke about it briefly, sort of like, you know, there's sort of all this, this sort of big, uh, hairy, very chunky kind of, uh, you know, massive celebrities or sports yeah. stars or whatever. Uh, but there, there is also maybe, um, let's say, more... Um, uh, individual uh, let uh, uh, may, and maybe smaller sort of easier to uh, e e more accessible i guess is is, yeah, is the word yeah. uh, for for some for some of the influencer space like uh, how how are you guys working with that uh, that space uh, today uh, sort of the influencer side of things if at all yeah i think um you know within sponsorship both avenues whether you're working with a, a kind of high profile ambassador or whether it's you know, and you work with one big ambassador that's got global appeal that you can use across multiple markets, or are you taking a more regional approach and signing multiple influencers and they actually, you know, um, with them, you might get more access to them so they can maybe post on a weekly basis. Whereas with a global ambassador, you know, you're going to get maybe, um, you know, very, you'd be lucky to almost get a, a post a month. You know, I think the access to them is obviously more limited yeah. because of um, their profile and, 
And, you know, if it's a famous footballer, their schedule, for example, you know, that's the things that you're kind of utilizing from them. But as a result, you know, access is more limited. Um, so but both, yeah. both avenues work. It, it just depends what you're trying to achieve. Um, and I think that's where, yeah. you know, the brand needs to be really clear from the beginning about, you know, why are they exploring partnerships um, and what are they trying to achieve? and how how are they going to use yeah. it to stand out and then i think they can find the right product so yeah is that a global ambassador is that five regional ambassadors or is it many local influencers um yeah. you know i think gaming in particular that you know there's a saturation of a number of number of industries within this space you know and gaming is obviously one of them mm-hmm. in the uk it's i think it's the second most prevalent industry across men and women's football rugby and cricket so you've got all these, and I think in the, in, in the Premier League, of the 20 teams, eight have a gaming brand front of shirt. So you've really got to no. work hard to stand out, right? Um, and I think the way in which you need to stand out is to find the right property, whether that's an ambassador, whether it's a sports team, whether it's a festival. You've got to find the right strategic fit that aligns with what you're trying to achieve um, as a business, so with, with your business and marketing objectives. Um, yeah. Because I think if 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 that's not aligned, then it's you know to a fan, it's not really going to make sense what what you're trying to do in that space, and um you know and your messaging won't really it won't be clear and, and you know the value that you're bringing. Um, I think you know if we're looking yeah. at brands that you know are trying to you know explore ways in which sponsorship can match what they're trying to achieve or drive um you know an objective forward. Um, you know, BMW is a, a great example who, you know, have always kind of, you know, been within sports sponsorship or partnerships, but in a slightly more traditional space. But with the growth of esports, they've really capitalized on that industry. They now sponsor, I think it's yeah. five of the top, top, the top five organizations within esports. Um, but what they've yeah. done is really use esports to um, drive brand consideration amongst the younger audience. You know, it's something that automotives are really struggling with at the moment with things like, Uber and taxi shares, um, you know, and cost of living, mm-hmm. you know, the the decision to purchase a car, you know, isn't as easy as maybe it was when we were all younger. But they yeah. still need to engage with that younger demographic to kind of take them on that, that lifeline. Um, and so they really used esports as a way in which to identify with that younger audience and almost keep them front of mind. So when they're ready to make a purchasing decision, you know, BMW might be at the front of their mind for that. Yes, no, absolutely. Uh, and if we look inside of, of iGaming um, uh, and specifically sort of B2C operators, so you, you yeah. mentioned PokerStars be, being one of them, but um, so, so I mean, I mean, this might be very basic to you, but there might be some, some listeners that, uh, that might not uh, know it. So, I mean, why, 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 is, why should B2C operators engage with sponsorships uh, at all? Sure, I think, you know, it's clear how sponsorship can engage with consumers right because um you know it's a captive audience you know nowadays with the um fragmentation of viewing um of streaming um but actually you know with a younger generation and you know what they want to consume live um or how long you know they want to consume content for you know sports and you know music are really only the one of the you know two of the few final things that actually consumers choose to engage with live um, mm-hmm. and 
you know, I think what it offers is therefore this huge captive audience where fans are emotionally and psychologically engaged. And therefore, when a brand associates with that, you get this liking transfer where, you know, they're the, the transfer for the, for the fans, you know, they transfer their liking from one, you know, from that moment to actually a brand that's associated mm-hmm. with it. And therefore, passionate mm-hmm. fans become kind of passionate consumers. Um, and that's why, you know, yeah. sponsorship really can be part of a brand building strategy. So I think it's really clear how sponsorship works for consumers, but actually B2B, it can work really well as well. You know, traditionally, brands would use partnerships um, to engage with other businesses um, or, you know, their key customers through things like um, kind of hospitality and showcasing the brand, all that sort of stuff. But increasingly so, um, you know, B2B businesses really need to be able to tell their story of their brand as well and ensure that they're kind of sharing emotive details of their brand to ensure that actually on a Mm -hmm. b2b perspective you know their customers are also engaged um and so you're you know we're starting to see really clever ways in which actually sponsorship is being used from a b2b perspective as well um sage which i don't you know you might be familiar with but a software company that kind of provides I think it's sort of accounting and resource kind of um, support and, and planning. Um, mm-hmm. Over the last few years, they've increasingly, they're, they're a big B2B business, right? And increasingly over the last years, they've um, invested in a number of sports, um, ECB, 100 in the UK, uh, MLB, so baseball in MLB, yeah, baseball in the US, um, and Six Nations mm-hmm. rugby. And that's mm-hmm. really... It, and, you know, I guess what they're giving back is insights to those rights holders because that's what they're able to do in terms of their software. But what they're getting back is an opportunity to tell the story about who Sage is, you know, their history, what they stand for, but also experiences mm-hmm. in order to engage and um, kind of treat their, you know, their business customers, their entrepreneurs and the people they're trying to target. Um, so it can work really well on a B2B level as well. Yeah, very good. So both B2C and B2B should engage um, in, in this. And I guess also, uh, so again, just when, you know, when I ask around inside the, the iGaming uh, uh, industry, at least, like there is, there is this uh, impression that sponsorships are very expensive and very costly. And, the, the, you know, if, if we don't have a massive team, there's no way we can, we can you know, uh, A, make this investment and also be activated in a, in a good way. Uh, is that your view as well? Or is there a, a medium and a, and a small package available as well for these brands to consider? Yeah, exactly. I think I can totally understand why people have that perception because the ones that you read about are obviously, you know, often the, the big ones, um, you know, yeah. um, they, they can be high. And in an industry where it might be saturated with brands such as gaming, but also automotive, financial services, alcohol, you know, um, if you're looking yeah. to invest in a big property, you know, the investment levels are going to be high because um, because of the value, to be honest, that partnerships, you know, that these rights holders are, are delivering for these brands. Um, but there are yeah. many other avenues to explore. And I think that's really exciting, um, especially now, you know, I'm sure we've all been reading about the growth of women's sport. But if you start to look at developing sports, then that's an area which, you know, hasn't had the demand and therefore you're able to invest at a slightly more cost-effective stage. But actually, excitingly, mm-hmm. you can be part of that sports story. So, you know, if you come in early, you can be part of how you supported them, part of the growth story, and, yeah. and therefore that storytelling becomes kind of richer. 
Um, but you can also look at ways in which you can maybe partner with just a specific region or a market. Um, and then, you know, yeah. finally, I think if you're focused on a certain property, let's say it's football, which, you know, you know, often comes with a higher investment level, then maybe you could look at mm -hmm. different avenues such as a lower level. So maybe, you know, looking at programs that are based within the community rather than at a national or a global scale. So I can mm -hmm. totally appreciate people's reaction to that. But I think, you know, the, there are many options of where, you, you know, you can find um, opportunities to invest at a level that's right for you. Um, I think that's where you just, again, got to be really clear about what you're trying to achieve as a brand. And then that's where an agency, you know, like Entourage or any other, actually knows the market so well, they can then look at those objectives and say, actually, guys, have you considered this? Um, you know, it's more aligned mm -hmm. with your budget um, and you're able to, you know, it's a property you could invest in and, and actually could deliver against what you're trying to achieve. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Very good. And if we had to get the... A little bit concrete here, Katie. So I think, um, and just give the audience some, some sort of sense of, of budget required. So I think on the on the large scale budget, I guess there is no limit. At the end of the day, you could hire uh, 10 A-list uh, Hollywood celebs if you wanted to and, and go crazy. Um, so let's look more at the at the lower side. So sort of, so if you were to slice and dice and work with, with regional as opposed to national, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera is there some sort of... You know, is it possible to put some sort of amount on, if if you will, that you know, you know, from this point upwards, you you can actually start doing something uh, at a certain price point. Is there any any sort of guidance on that, or uh, like what what would you advise a smaller company um, to start out with? I know this is a very annoying question, which the audience probably yes. doesn't want to hear, but it is really hard to provide that number because. I think the way in which a partnership can be structured varies so much. Um, if a brand approaches us and is looking for a partnership, really the first point is to understand what budget they have so that we can then yeah. go out to the market and find something appropriate for them. Because, you know, even if you look at some big properties, um, you know, like UEFA Champions League, one industry might be paying a lot more than another industry that's got similar rights but that's because of the competitiveness or the kind of saturation or the demand within that industry so even mm -hmm. with the same property and the same rights there's not really a set price um, yeah. and that kind of is the same across everything um, but then even you know some rights holders are willing to offer um, you know shorter term deals where they can maybe just roll out some digital assets over a few months and therefore that could mm -hmm. match their budget and it could be a kind of a good kind of test and learn. Um, so, you know, I think what's I think what's really positive and going back to that point I made earlier about partnerships now being, you know, much more mutual um, and much more of a mutual decision. And, and, and the, the rights holder often working with the brand um, is that, you know, they're open to understand what is the brand? What is the brand trying to achieve and actually build a package of that off that? Mm -hmm. So I think mm -hmm. that's where, actually, as a first step, to be honest, understanding the budget the brand has, what they're trying to achieve, and then taking that and going to market and using, you know, your internal team or an agency to help actually identify what properties could match that is, is yeah, mm -hmm. that's the way. So unfortunately, there's really not a set price that you can say someone needs to find. I think it just varies so much. I think the only thing worth noting, which it feels like brands often forget is to make a partnership a success, you've really got to look at um, activation spend as well. So yeah. 
you know, I think for those, again, that might not be fully aware what activation means, activation is really about maximizing your partnership and, and the exposure you get from it. It's a way in which you use all the rights that you have in your contract to actually bring the brand to life. Um, mm -hmm. So I think once you sign the contract, you know, some brands might think they're, they're kind of there and it's live and it's a success and they've done the launch. Um, but actually, um, you know, that's, activation is a really important next step um, to exploit and be able to communicate, um, you know, what you're trying to do. So what I mean by how you can activate is that's via promotions or it's via branding around the stadium or the festival. It's around hospitality, yeah. events that you might create, PR. But it's really important to recognize, I think, once you've signed a partnership, you do still need to invest and have budget to invest in activation um, because that's, yeah. what's that's what will really drive it forward. And again, there's not really a right amount as to how, you know, a brand should budget for activation. It varies so much in mm. terms of what they're wanting to do and um, for how long. But a really crude way of measuring is sometimes, you know, if you're looking to do um, activate at a good level, you know, you should really be looking, you know, almost a pound for every pound you spend on that contract should be put towards activation is often what we try and kind of manage the expectations with our clients on. One-to-one one -one relationship, basically, you're saying. So if you're spending a, a million on a talent, you should spend a million on activation as well. Is that, is yeah, that correctly I think understood? If they're really wanting to make an impact, obviously there's ways we can be smarter with that. Um, yeah, yeah, you know, as I mentioned, maybe pick out some key brand moments, you know, whether they've got a launch coming up or a product coming out, and you focus on just yeah. those. So there are ways in which to scale that back. But um, I think yeah. going into a partnership and not and forgetting that actually you need activation spend, um, that's where the yeah. partnership can end up falling down. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, uh, you know, if you buy into the good old marketing funnel, uh, I guess uh, I, I guess the, the talent on its own will only, you know, buy you reach and, and some eyeballs, if you will, and you sort of, you know, perhaps some uh, some brand associations, etc, etc. But it's really the activation piece that starts getting this this uh, this uh, investment uh, further down the, the funnel and closer to the to the purchase line of the consumer, so to, so to speak. Would that be a, a fair way of describing it? So if you don't have that activation side, you're literally just floating at the top of the of the funnel and uh, and you're very you're potentially very far away from 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 actually seeing any any increase or uplift in sales yeah absolutely and um, uh, i'm trying to think of some good examples to pull out i guess where brands have maybe done this well or or not so well and, and the impact that it's had but i think um trying to think of like what examples within gaming um paddy power ra ran a campaign a couple of years ago called um so you don't think you're special um which you may be aware of it was a daily jackpot campaign where consumers mm -hmm. can win on a daily basis but what was really clever mm -hmm. about it is they partnered with Jose Mourinho to be kind of the front of the campaign. Um, and um, it, they didn't just kind of sign Jose Mourinho and then just use him for some kind of key photos and everything. You know, they, they, they used him throughout the campaign, um, you know, mm -hmm. in their adverts, how he posted about it um, in store. Um, but it was very clever because, you know, I think what it did was really um, clearly explain what the campaign was about. So because there were these daily jackpots, because people could win um, daily, you didn't have to be special to win. So they were, mm -hmm. you know, that message was really clear. And then they utilized the personality who had trust, um, you know, who was liked by some football fans. Um, but I think what yeah. was clever is they've obviously kind of capitalized on, you know, 
Mourinho and what he stands for and you know um most football fans would be able to understand that you know he the kind of the link between that and the campaign and that he was called the special one or called himself the special one and so it kind of added this kind of humorous value as well um but because they kind of used him throughout all different touch points it just landed really well and it I think it through the activation it just made it really clear what the campaign was about the benefits um but also kind of you know shone a light on the brand Paddy Power and kind of that funny element that it has and everyone knows them for so well. Um, yeah. Thinking, I guess, of, you know, an example of where maybe a brand hasn't got it so right. And, and actually going back to the activation point of, you know, once the contract is signed, there's still a lot of work that needs to be done in terms of what is the messaging, what's the benefits, what's the value you're driving to fans. This is quite an old example, um, but Wonga, who don't exist any anymore, but um, again, the audience may be aware of them. They were a payday, they're kind of a pay, a short-term loan company who charged extremely high yeah. interest rates. But they partnered with Newcastle Football Club. Um, and, you know, at the time mm-hmm. they did it, North East England, you know, um, was struggling with insolvency. And so it felt like a very poor partnership in that specific region. Um, and actually what it, mm. I think, felt like to a lot of fans is obviously the club just suddenly capitalizing on a partnership and wanting to take that investment, but not really thinking about what is what is the benefits that's, that are being driven to both the brand and us. And so when the partnership became mm-hmm. live, you know, there was huge uproar with a lot of fans actually starting to say they would um, not attend matches because of it. And, you know, local wow. kind of government people were responding around it. So it had a really negative reaction. Yeah. But I think that's where... Yeah. They'd they'd almost sign the contract and then not thought about activation and how that was going to land. Yes, yes. So there's a lot of work that goes into this to to get it right, both from a both from an ROI perspective, but also uh, to make sure you don't actually cause a negative effect or, or hurt hurt your brand to either side of the fence, basically. That yeah, definitely. I know sense. we. Uh, <clears throat> Sorry, go, go, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say I know we've spoken about strategy and. And the importance of that to be able to find the right product. But I think when you set a strategy, the other things that it, that, that can do is, you know, outline some really clear goals. You know, is it, are you trying to achieve sales or awareness or consideration yeah. or yeah. consumer attention? But agree on what those yes. um, goals are and communicate them internally yes. so everyone's al- aligned. And then, you know, I think when that's established, then you collaborate with the sponsor on those goals you're trying to achieve so that you can identify a kind of set of rights that complement that. Um, yeah. And, and before you kick off that partnership, you know, you need, it's important to have a really clear and consistent message that you're going to activate with, especially if you're a brand who's got multiple partnerships. Um, you know, I think it can become quite confusing to fans, you know, especially sports fans. If you look at the F1 where, you know, with so many brands featuring on the car or the driver's suits or the helmets, it's it's quite hard to understand mm-hmm. what is the role that each of those are playing. But it's with a strategy that you can have this kind of clear and consistent message and ensure that that lives across all your different assets. So the fan can really understand yeah. what is it that you're bringing to the sport and to them um, and, and mm-hmm. therefore why they should value you in that space. Um, so I yeah. think, yeah, that's kind of a, yeah, obviously a key element to it. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I think going back to strategy and, and also 
uh, actually going back to the definition of activation also to begin with. So I, I've always learned there's, there's two ways of looking at this. So, so first of all, you have a brand and a way of activating that brand is to engage in a sponsorship or a partnership, right? So you're, you're activating the brand, right, through sponsorships. And then inside that sponsorship, you also need to activate that investment, if, if you will. So there's, there's two layers of it. Um, but, but I think, you know, for me, if I should give one, um, one sort of visual on a partnership, it's a, it's a, it's a massive amplifier, of whatever uh, whatever uh, ob objectives you you have, but the the key point here is that you need to have extremely clear objectives, uh, know exactly what you're trying to achieve um, before engaging into this, because otherwise, how are you going to find the right the right match, uh, and 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 what are you going to communicate through that partnership? It's going to become you know if you have a mess internally, you're going to have an amplified mess, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> basically, and it's you're definitely not to gonna. You know, that that's how I see it at least. So I don't know if yeah. you you agree. I totally agree, and I think the other thing is if you don't have those objectives, how are you measuring it? Right. So you know yeah. measurement such a key part of this and um, you know partnerships can really make or break a marketing program they in light of the audience numbers um the platform that you have they have such an impact they can have such an impact on the marketing program so you really need to understand what your objectives are and then ensure you've got the data um you know timely access to data that actually helps you measure how is it, you know how is it working against those objectives um you mm. know 10 years ago um, you know, when I was starting out, you know, to see how much it's changed in terms of measurement and what's provided, you know, previously a rights holder would, you know, deliver data or, or results, um, you know, it was often kind of inconsistent um, and, and often quite delayed, you know, you might get it two months after a season finished. So it was never, you were never really be able to, um, able to adapt to what you were doing during that season to, to react off it. Um, but I think what's really exciting is, you know, the advancement of tech has just made data so much more readily available and therefore has really helped measure this industry. You know, I think that's one of the things that people used to hold against sponsorship is, you know, people would say that you're just measuring awareness, you're just looking at the number of eyeballs that might be watching a match and that's how it's measured. But it's definitely not that anymore. You know, some of the campaigns I've worked on, you know, with PepsiCo and UEFA Champions League, you know, they're able to drill down on data that actually shows when they're running an on-pack promotion, how that's been driven because of their UEFA Champions League partnership. Um, even with mm -hmm. a car purchase, which, you know, I think the, the car purchase lifeline is four years. But even some of the automotives have managed to explore ways in which how they can identify how a certain partnership has actually helped drive a car sale. Um, so it's really mm -hmm. exciting what it can do. But yeah, what I guess, you have to have those objectives so that measurement can then track the effectiveness of them. Measurement can then also provide insight into the different activities that you're doing so you can understand which might be working harder than others, um, you know, allowing you mm -hmm. to maybe scale back some of the ways in which you're activating during a season or a moment. Um, it allows you to kind yeah. of really optimize the sponsorship um, and just provide a complete, a complete picture, you know, on how the sponsorship is performing, you know, and against the objectives that you set. Yeah, uh, and talking about pushbacks, right? I mean, that's the the second pushback that I always hear, right? So number one is it's too expensive. Number two is 
how do we measure it? Like, like how do we know if this works or not, right? Um, so sp speaking on the measurement piece, so you mentioned that the, the rights holder um, can, can potentially help out with some of the measurement piece, but I guess the vast majority of the work sits within the brand that invests in a, in a partnership or, 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 or maybe also, you know, how, how do you as Entourage, uh, can you help out with the measurement piece and, and how does that work? Yeah, you're completely right. You get some data from the rights holder, but ultimately you as a brand, you know how you like to measure your own brand. You know, if you look at, um, you know, when I've worked with gaming brands, obviously they track things so much more regularly. Um, and actually they're pretty, you guys are pretty sophisticated in how you measure and track. So it, what makes sense is actually you look at your partnership and you integrate that into current tracking um, processes that you have. Um, mm -hmm. But it does massively vary, um, you know, I think depending on business goals, audience budgets, how you measure and what you do. But a lot of that does, mm -hmm. you know, ends up sitting with the brand. There's certain information you, you can get from the rights holder, but it does need to be driven by you. But I think the key thing mm -hmm. with measurement, and we've spoken already really about, you know, the funnel, but ensuring that you have an overview of the full funnel so that you can really understand mm -hmm the right type of value that you're driving, but also the impact across awareness, engagement, sales, you know, all through, all through the tunnel, all through the funnel. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, uh, very, very good. Um, uh, yeah, I was going to say, I think also an important aspect on, on measurement is obviously the, you know the the time frame that you use to evaluate uh, a partnership right so i think if you're uh, if if you invest in a large uh, partnership and just uh, expects uh, immediate sales on the bottom line the the following week uh, maybe maybe you're missing missing the mark so to speak and there there's so much more to to a partnership and and uh, you know uh, over the medium to long term as well yeah um, i was going to bring this up actually when we were talking about strategy cuz i appreciate i appreciate that the approach in terms of how long you might partner with something, you know, is very much dependent on the budget that the brand has. Um, but yeah. long-term partnerships, that is something that at all the agencies I've worked at will always recommend. And, um, you know, I think shorter-term ones as a way in which to test the water or to, you know, learn from, you know, can, can be a really useful experiment. But I think mm -hmm. if you're fully committed to a partnership and you want to see results, you need to really look at how you can do it long term, you know, longer than a year, really, because effectiveness yeah. grows over time. And so that, you know, it becomes more cost effective over time. But going back to the measurement point, you know, it's therefore you can track real results when the, you know, when the fans have actually got used to you being into the space and they're aware that you're there and they can see what you're doing. It's really only over time mm -hmm. that you can really understand what's the true value that you're delivering. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So even though we can uh, we can slice and dice and and uh, uh, let's say make uh, partnerships less scary and and sort of more digestible in terms of budget, um, would it be fair to say that you still you definitely still need to be able to see uh, you know don't don't engage in partnerships unless you're willing to uh, to have at least sort of a, a a year window so to speak where where that partnership will will grow and uh, and you're willing to to measure the effects over the long term if you're expecting to see effects the next uh, the next month partnerships is probably not the right tool in your toolbox for you would that be fair to say or is there a way to achieve very short term goals as well through partnerships. In some instances, if you're looking at the bigger properties, the bigger global properties, but I, again, going back to 
there being different options for the different budgets the brands have. There are also, I guess, different options in terms of the length that they're able to invest into that. So, um, you know, if they're actually running a digital campaign um, and they work with a club, you know, a lot of the rights holders have become smart in terms of actually offering shorter-term partnerships, but it's often in a digital space because you can kind of track those results so much quicker. So, again, if, if that's, you know, if that's what they need to, you know, if that's the brand consideration, then a partnership can be shaped mm-hmm. for that. And, um, you know, you can run more mm-hmm. shorter term ones, shorter term deals. Um, and I think also, you know, when we were talking before about budgets and looking at maybe a more regional approach or even a lower level approach, again, sometimes those can complement a shorter term partnership. But I think if you're looking to do something mm-hmm. global with a really big property, that's where you really need to allow the time so that you can actually really understand what's what's the true ROI. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely, absolutely. Um, okay, uh, very good. And I guess also um, that's where Entourage comes in, right? I mean, I think a lot of the, if I understood you correctly, Katie, you, you kind of sit as almost part of the in-house team or an extended yeah. uh, an, an extended extended team effectively and and help the brand both to set the strategy understand what they're trying to achieve measurement etc cetera, etc cetera. Uh, could could you talk a little bit more sort of the day to day of so if someone wanted to get involved in partnerships and and uh, and speaking to you guys how would entourage help that operation so to speak how would you sit in the day to day yeah absolutely um I think, you know, what an agency like Entourage offers is basically a group of people who are expertise in the space. So whether the brand is new to partnerships or even whether they've been in partnerships for a while, but they just don't have the manpower to drive things internally. Um, Because a lot of, you know, going out to market and finding the right properties and activating it, it's time consuming. But if you can use an agency where you're just tapping into some of their time, it becomes quite a cost-effective route rather than you needing to employ a whole team of people to do it for you. But I guess in terms yeah. of entourage, you know, we offer um, commercial partnerships where we'll go out to market and strategically find, you know, partnerships which, which fit with that brand. We have a talent department as well, which um, exclusively looks after the commercial rights um, of a number of athletes um, um, and Then we've got our partnership management division, which is obviously where I come in. And what we're trying to do is is almost support our clients through every stage of the kind of journey. So we can, um, so often our commercial department might get a brief from a brand, um, which is based obviously around budget and target audience and maybe target markets, what they're trying to achieve. Mm -hmm. And then they'll go out to the market. You know, they've got a knowledge um, already of what's, what's, um, what deals are, you know, available, which ones might be coming up for re- renegotiations and so which might be open in a year or two. They've got all that knowledge, so mm-hmm. then they'll share that with the brand and work through maybe what partnership is best for them. Um, then when it comes to the yeah. activation part, we've got a talent team who can really help them identify, you know, is talent a way in which to support um, that campaign and help push it on further? Um, so we can either offer, mm-hmm. you know, our the, the talent we represent or we actually procure for a number of global brands um, you know, we'll go out to market and procure that talent. Um, and then we'll come in, my department will come in to basically, you know, when I talked about activation, that's what we're doing is really helping them maximize that partnership to ensure they get the best exposure from it and that they really mm-hmm. utilize all the rights we've ha- they have. So I guess if we're looking at what mm-hmm. we kind of do on a day-to-day basis, um, you know, I think if I pull out an example, um, Parimatch had a, Parimatch, um, 
have a number of football club partnerships and, and other partnerships, but they they sponsor a number of teams in the Premier League. But they also last season had Juventus, um, which we managed that partnership for them. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And they were using it as a way in which to drive kind of brand knowledge, um, awareness amongst the new audience, um, and then interest and demand in new regions, but then also loyalty with their existing audience. Um, and then, what, so what we did for them as in, on a day-to-day basis is um, actually our commercial team negotiated that partnership for them, and then we came in and managed it. So that is everything from, you know, weekly calls with Juventus to make sure, you know, the rights are being delivered as, as what we require, um, that we're aligned on certain ways in which to use the rights. You know, if there's a newsletter coming up, for example, you know, is our messaging aligned with Juventus? Is it, it doesn't clash with a campaign that they might be running? Um, yeah. They had access to players for shoots, so we'd help them manage that. Um, they had kind mm-hmm. of a number of kind of weak social posts around each game. So we'll come in and just manage that entire process with them. Um, yeah. You know, Parimatch has quite an um, extensive internal team as well. So often the support we give depends on, you know, what the brand needs. Um, but we've helped Parimatch yes. with all of that. And then I guess at the end of the season, help them wrap, wrap that up and look at, you know, what's worked, what hasn't. And how might we therefore want to adapt it for next season? Yeah. Uh, and that's uh, that must have been a quite expensive partnership that one i know you can't mention prices of course but juventus uh, uh can't can't be can't be cheap <laughs> well i think Quite a all bigger I said, one. when you've got the entourage commercial team <laughs> building it and driving it for the brand you know they're going to find ways in which to yes. support the brand with making it as cost effective as possible <laughs> i love it katie very good very good okay uh, and you also mentioned a, a smaller sort of mid-size uh, case uh, if you want to take us through that one as well yeah, are you referring to Olibet? Yes, yes, Olibet, yeah. exactly, yeah. Yeah, so another one of our partners, um, you know, I think it's really exciting to see what Olibet are doing and how they're growing in the Balkans. Um, they mm-hmm. are, you know, the Olibet Entertainment Group is very much positioned as an entertainment business and they're looking at how they can use their partnerships as a way in which to kind of gain access to content um, so that they can be seen not only as the leading gaming, gaming provider in the Balkans, but they can see that they're this provider of content and they're an entertainment build, um, business. Um, and mm-hmm. so two seasons ago, they partnered with Luka Modric, um, who most people might recognize, but is a huge, you know, world-renowned football star who plays for Real Madrid and Croatia. And they partnered with mm-hmm. him, which again, um, this is where our talent team helps to go out to market and find the right talent for them. They then negotiated mm-hmm. with Luca, and then we now manage that partnership. Um, so, mm-hmm. um, but they wanted to find a talent who could build trust with new audiences and drive loyalty mm-hmm. with current or, or audiences as well. But I think the other thing that mm-hmm. you know was key to the strategy behind Olibet's approach um, was they were also expanding into Croatia, which they did. Uh, I think in 2021. Mm-hmm. And so they were really looking at how they could use talent as a way to, you know, deliver on the objectives I mentioned earlier, but actually really support with that expansion into a new market as well. Um, and mm-hmm. so with that partnership, again, we manage it on a day-to-day basis in terms of where the kind of middleman between Luca and the client, um, mm-hmm. ensuring that Luca delivers on all the necessary rights, but actually when mm-hmm. we're doing um, content shoots with him as well, that, everything's approved pre 
ahead of the shoot so it runs smoothly and then on the shoot that Luca's delivering to everything that he's agreed to do um but I think it's been a really exciting one for Oli Bet. It was the first brand ambassador. And, um, you know, I think going with someone so high profile has seen great results. You know, I think they had a just a launch video, which was just um, put out on YouTube, had um, 44,000 views. And they get an, on average kind of 74,000 impressions on Facebook. But otherwise, they also have used it really well as an internal engagement kind of piece as well, mm-hmm. which I think is, mm-hmm. you know, often that internal engagement piece is really important to consider because it can have, it's mm-hmm. really beneficial as well to the brand. And so what Oli mm-hmm. have done is looked at how through signed shirts or personalized videos or kind of meet and greets, how they can use Luca as a way in which to engage with their employees, um, especially around that Croatia launch and how they could engage with the um, Croatian employees. Yeah, well, that sounds... Uh... That that sounds uh, fantastic, and uh, you know, every, when I hear you talk, uh, Katie, uh, it just sort of uh, it's just so. Uh, don't underestimate how much work there sits in uh, in in working with partnerships, right? And and this is of course where where entourage can help out, but also just in general for the brands, like as in it is not just signing a big check, right? Well, you can, but you're not going to get a, any ROI on that, right? Um, so there is just a tremendous amount of work sitting in in activation and uh, and working with the talent, working with the rights holder. You know, like you're mentioning photo shoots, uh, if you intend building videos or merchandise around it, in-person events, access to exclusive stuff. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. So, so, so you better have a, a very strong in-house team or partner with with, uh, yeah. with the likes of yourselves uh, to 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 maximize that investment, right? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, I think it goes, you know, like so many businesses, it's a real relationship business, right? So whoever yeah. the brand partners with, um, it's really important to have a good relationship with that right, that rights holder or that talent or whoever it is, because that's where yeah. you're both going to kind of go out of your way to really drive value from it. And I think that's where yeah. an agency like us can really help with that, because we've got the time to really focus on it on a day-to-day basis, you know, often... We're working, yeah. the, marketing, the marketing teams we're working with, brand side, have so much, so many responsibilities on their plate that this, you know, the partnership is a really small, you know, a small element of their day-to-day job. And so where we can take all that time-consuming work off them and, and help them ensure that the relationship is really positive and therefore, you know, better value can be driven from it. That's exactly what we can do. And that's where we, yeah, I think our value kind of really shines. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. You also mentioned a non-gaming um, uh, case study, effectively, uh, if, if, with Vodafone, I believe, if you wanted to share that as well, maybe. Yeah, because when we caught up in the preparation call, I was saying that I think it's really important for gaming companies, or to be honest, for any brand, to look outside of their industry and see what other brands mm-hmm. are, how they're activating, how they're partnering with different things, and learn from them as well. Yeah. And when I spoke um, you know, in Malta on the iGaming panel, I was talking about Vodafone mm-hmm. because um, I think all the different um, kind of business um, functions reflect quite well, I guess, what's happening, you know, the game, the business functions within gaming. Um, mm-hmm. And so I was just talking about how, you know, when, at my at a previous agency, I was working on um, Vodafone's partnership with uh, British and Irish Lions. Um, and they were using that property as a way in which to increase brand awareness which, to be honest, in, you know, in the UK there and Ireland, Ireland, you know, everyone's pretty aware of Vodafone. 
but it was to really look at mm. non-user consideration um, and mm-hmm. and I guess demonstrate what they're capable of as a business, demonstrate their role through the sponsorship, mm-hmm. for example, through kind of connectivity. Um, mm-hmm. And when we were working on it, it was just in the middle. It was just when COVID had kicked off. So interestingly, you know, there were all these rights agreed and then a lot of those rights had to switch to kind of digital assets um, because experiential on the ground, all of those sort of assets just weren't possible. Um, and again, yeah. going back to kind of being close with the rights holder and have a good working relationship, that's where if things have to change, you know, you don't have to abide the, con- uh, you know, normally you would have to abide to a contract, you know, word for word. But then if something so unusual yeah. happens like COVID, then through that relationship, you can work through ways in which you can activate that they're happy with and you're happy with. Um, so they created yeah. an official app um, they had like a player-led content series um, and they used mm-hmm. Vodafone tech to look at kind of player performance. But yeah. it was a huge success um, for Vodafone and, and British and Irish mm-hmm. Lions. You know, it was, they had the most downloaded app ever. Um, and for Vodafone, they had a, I think it was a brand affinity uplift of 83%. So it was huge. But I think what wow. another thing that really stood out was that there were these multiple business functions and from sort of day one, they were very much aligned about the partnership and could together could work Mm -hmm. together to drive that value. So we used Mm -hmm. to have kind of steering calls um, and then a kind of a committee. um, So all the comms were kind of managed um, in a really process driven way, but it, it, I think it was about 12 business functions that we worked across with the Vodafone partnership Mm -hmm. team. And it was kind of comms, Mm -hmm. media, social PR, um, Vodafone Business, Vodacom South Africa, obviously Vodafone Ireland, mm-hmm. retail app, <laughs> online very me rewards, mm-hmm. and I think internal comps. So there was it was just such a huge part of the business. But as a result, yeah. as an agency, we had to really play a role in helping them as a business as a business align and, and organize themselves so that they could all work together on driving the value of the partnership forward. Yeah. Wow, what a what a setup! But clearly with good results. So that's uh, that was that was working fantastically for them. It sounds like yeah, they've re- they've recently announced a partnership with um, Glastonbury for this year, which um, it's an old agency, so I'm not involved nice. with. But I think it really helps demonstrate that part, you know the partnership is obviously working for them because they're now investing yeah. in kind of in, in more partnerships. Yes, very good, very good. Oh, fantastic case studies. Uh, Katie, uh, this has been tremendously uh, valuable to, to myself. I've learned a lot. I hope, uh, I hope the audience at, at home as well has. Um, before we stop, uh, I'm going to try my luck again a little bit, Katie, here to see uh, if there is, can we, I don't know, I'm going to push it. Can, can, you know, can a brand with a small setup, can we get started with £50,000? in partnerships or is do we need to go to six digits to to sort of get started so anything you can say there what's the what's the threshold to get started with something i you know i think don't think that any amount is too little you know if if 50k okay. is what you've got um then working with an agency you know you can find a solution that might deliver against that so it might be that yeah. it's and, uh, you know, it might be that it's a regional ambassador deal. It might be that it's a number of influencers. Yes. It might be that it's just a very small element to what a rights holder does. But any yeah. starting point is possible. So, yeah, 
Okay. Don't rule yourself out if the budget is 50 or less. I think there's ways in which you can find smart solutions um, to allow you to, yeah, be able to still find a property that you can activate with. Let's uh, let that be the the last uh, the last question and answer here for this podcast, Katie. Uh, thank you so much. Um, if people want to get in touch with you, Katie, or with Entourage, what is the what is the best way to to do so? Sure. Well, you're more than welcome to email me directly. Um, my email address is ks at entourage globalcom um, But conscious, I'm also going on mat leave soon, so in case you get no response. Um, you know, we're very prevalent on LinkedIn and you can hit up any of us on that. Um, we post quite a bit on Instagram to kind of demonstrate our work and what we're doing. Um, but then obviously, then we've got a website, which is entourage-global.com, um, where you can kind of send a message. Um, so, yeah, please get in touch and use any of those avenues. Fantastic. Thanks for that, Katie. So thank you so much for your time and especially uh, two weeks before uh, before uh, having twins. That's uh, that's insane. So, uh, yeah, I wish you all all the best and uh, and uh, can't wait to uh, to uh, to see if they listen to this episode uh, to fall asleep (laughs) afterwards or something. All right. Very good, Katie. Uh, have Have a fantastic day and hope to see you soon. Perfect. Thanks a lot, Michael. Great chatting to you. Likewise. Take care. Bye bye.